one more time again. One more time. Mark will be back with all kinds of tales of love and romance in Paris and, uh, you know, the usual. Yeah. Things that people talk about after they've been to Paris. Uh, you know, last week we uh, we we uh, ran out of time before we were able to get to a film that I think you and I both want to talk about quite a bit, uh, which is new on Blu-ray. Yeah, and let's just let's Cohen. just jump right into this. This uh, is new from Cohen, and, and, and I'm really I thought, uh, 1991 Daughters of the Dust. This is restored on Blu-ray, by the way. Beautiful. This is Absolutely an extraordinary beautiful. film. 25, 25th year uh, restoration of uh, Julie Dash's Daughters of the Dust. The film. Is about the Gula people who live on these little islands off the coast of South Carolina, um, which is uh, an interesting story in and of itself. The, the Primarily a, a story of women, we should point out. It a, is, a, a story of these yeah. women and what they would do, the, the Gula people, is they would, they, they would dye the, the cotton fabrics from the plantations with sort of indigo blue. Yeah, uh, it was just a beautiful. It's a beautiful film for all kinds of reasons. But, but this is what I want to talk about. Well, first, let me finish with this, with, with this. This is a beautiful restoration. The, the disc features all kinds of amazing things, including an interview uh, with Julie Dash uh, and uh, uh, several other folks, a couple of media studies professors and, and, and whatnot, several of the actors who were in the film, including Lee Dennis. It's a beautiful, beautiful audience, fantastic in terms of all of that. But in terms of Julie Dash, in terms of, yeah. of, of, of this extraordinary female director who happens to be black, Born out of her time, apparently, because her career, and she's had a career, yeah. but it hasn't been the career that it would have been. It's, it has not been. If we want to talk about, and you know, there are only a handful of black women who have ever been, uh, who've ever broken through both the glass ceiling and the race ceiling to be able to be successful filmmakers. There's really only a handful of them. Yeah. And, well, uh, people, people don't know, Maya Angelou was the first black woman to, to write... A, a a screenplay, a Hollywood screenplay. There had been other women during yeah. the sort of race period. Uh, Georgia, Georgia, I think was the name of the film. Yeah, Georgia, Georgia. And it had to be directed in Sweden. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Dirk Benedict, by the way, is in there. <laughs> I did not know that. Young Dirk Benedict. That's Maya Angelou, and that was like about 1972, 73, something like that. So, you know, and this is another 10 or 20 years later. It- and and we are now you know uh, almost twenty five some odd years later plus twenty six seven years later for for Ava DuVernay who is now sort of the beneficiary of everyone who's come yeah. before, but but you know Julie Dash was part of a group called the LA Rebellion which a lot of people probably don't know about because it's one of these un, unsung sort of under the radar groups but the LA Rebellion was a group of uh, predominantly black UCLA film students black and Latino but, and, and Latino, but mostly black who, who were UCLA, UCLA film students who just uh, kind of came together to sort of form their own new wave of sorts and it was a short lived new wave but it's not that different from what from the you know the dogma filmmakers in Denmark or a even bit later 20 years later actually. yeah or, or even from what the uh, what the German the new German cinema group did with the Oberhausen manifesto you know it's in all of these cases these are filmmakers who get together and just say we have a particular aesthetic a particular point of view it doesn't override who we are as individuals or what our individual aesthetic is but as a collective we are going to be able to make the individual voices louder mm. and um Charles Burnett. Yeah, Charles Burnett was part of that, and probably the, to the to date the most famous one of them is Charles Burnett. But uh, Julie Dash came out of that, and she she was the first black woman to get a theatrically released feature film that yeah. had never happened before. She broke that, and then her career really went nowhere after that. She yeah. had kind of a lackluster follow up, and you know. Uh, if everybody who made a really bad first or second film never got another chance, most of these Marvel movies wouldn't exist. Look, they call it the Southmore curse for yeah. a reason. It's to be expected. And it wasn't that it was a bad film either. And certainly she's made some interesting films. Since. She should have had a better career. Uh, much should uh, have much had a bigger, better, much better career. Now and now, you know, on the heels of that, and you know, some it, things are coming back around. And, and, and you know, Billy Woodbury is another LA Rebellion figure who is really significant. His films are finally coming out. Billy Woodbury was was working for the UCLA Film Department when I was there when I was in film school. Mm. And you know, I, we we didn't know we didn't know who our teachers were until you know. And but Billy wasn't even a teacher. He was just he was handling a lot of the equipment and the the technical stuff. And you know, people were like, that guy's a major filmmaker. Why is he working here? Well, he's working there because he did some very avant-garde stuff, and he was ahead of his time. And, and Hollywood worked the way it worked at the time. You know, it's interesting. And, and when we when we talk about the um, 
the uh, you know, you know, the uh, hashtag uh, Oscar so why yeah. instead and all of these conversations that have gone on over the yeah. last three or four years, which of, of course are not conversations from the last three or four years, but actually conversations from the last 60, 65, 70 years or more. And yeah. they sort of pop up every now and again. Well, one of the reasons why it's important is because a number of these filmmakers, including Julie Dash, who we're talking about now, her film is Daughters of the Dusk, 25th year anniversary edition, Alan Cohen, did not have the careers that they ought to have had because Hollywood had this sort of myopic sort of understanding yeah. of, the way, of the way things work. And that's one of the reasons why that conversation had to be had in the last three or four years. This movie was made This movie was made for a million dollars. Yeah. A million dollars, which is nothing. I mean, by today's standards, it's like a $4 million, $3 million film, which is still nothing. Yeah, yeah. Still very little. And, and it still had its best run on PBS, let me did. point out, as, yes, the, it did. As, as the Corporation there, for Public Broadcasting yes. looks at uh, being defunded. Daughters of the Dust would have never... Never have been seen by as many That's people true. as who did see it if they hadn't seen it on PBS. Yeah, it is. Anyway, there's an interview with Julie Dash and uh, Dr. Stefan Dunn, who is uh, from uh, Morehouse College. There's a Q&A with Julie Dash and uh, Cheryl Bruce from the Chicago Film Festival. Uh, and uh, there's an interv uh, interview with cinematographer Arthur Jaffa. Uh, and the best part of this is the audio commentary with Julie Dash and uh, Michelle Mater. Uh, Julie is so articulate and she's so smart and she's been a part of uh, Film Independent for quite a number of years so the Independent Spirit Awards she's always played a very uh, strong part in, in that uh, organization as well despite the fact that people don't really talk about her but uh, I hope this resurrects her career because she is she could she can still direct oh, <laughs> there's yeah. nothing stopping people from giving her movies to direct yeah. uh, so Daughters of the Dust is just a beautiful poetic movie it is uh, I'm so happy that it's been rediscovered you know I, I we both talked this film up for, since... I mean, this film came out when we started as film critics. Yeah. And we've talked her career up for decades, and it's... Uh, and it it's is a beautiful film, too. Sometimes in, in talking so about the film and talking about uh, the fact that it's a woman film about these women, and uh, it, we, I failed to mention that this is an extraordinarily beautiful film. Cinematography is beautiful. All of these black women in these white gowns roaming yeah. around these pristine sort of it's, South Carolina islands. It's amazing. And that Gullah language... Because the Gullah people have yeah. their own very sort of particular language, part kind of dialect, slave, yeah. dialect from yeah. West Africa, and then all that kind of stuff. Ah, extraordinary! It's really it's an amazing movie, and uh, it, it deserves it deserves all the accolades that it is belatedly getting. But you know what would be great? Give Julie Dash a job again. Let yeah. her let her make uh, let her pick a project and go to town because she she is an amazing talent. Um, also here from the Warner from the uh, Warner archive, archive, the Warner Archive, Julie Christie's Demon Seed. Oh dear! This movie really disturbed me <laughs> way back in the mid seventies. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, sort of, sort of like a uh, I don't know a, a, a post. Um, oh, what was the one with uh, Mia Farrow and uh, uh, Rosemary's Baby? Yeah, which I've been watching. It's yeah. been running. It's been running on regular television There's, here lately. There, there are a lot of those uh, from that era. I mean, obviously, from Rosemary's Baby up to The Omen, there's a lot of sort of evil child stuff going on possessed yeah, right? child child like the seventh sign yeah, and all yeah. That stuff. yeah yeah uh, and this is this is you know when you have when you name your movie demon seed you are pretty much <laughs> saying to the people who like rosemary's baby if you like rosemary's baby come see demon seed that's pretty much what the that, title that was, says that was literally what yeah. it was when you, why why don't the warner people put more stuff on there well, the Warner Archive line is uh, is manufacture on demand. So these are the titles that are uh, uh, effectively selected to be sort of boutique. -y. So we get them on Blu-ray, but we don't get them. You you, you know you you'll, you'll get it if you order it, and they won't make it unless you order it. So mm. that's that's the way this works. But uh, you know, I mean, I have mixed feelings about Demon Seed. Uh, it it, uh, it 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 it's appropriately creepy, but it is yet at the same time it it's. Somehow it just, it feels, it's, you know, it almost feels like it belongs more to the John Borman end of those things, you mm. know, Zardoz and Exorcist 2. It almost feels like it belongs a little bit to the, the kitschier end of that period. But still, I mean, it's, uh, it's Julie Christie, and, you, you know, you just cannot go wrong with Julie Christie in any way whatsoever. Julie Christie in 1977? No, you yeah. cannot go wrong with any of that. Uh, and nothing, nobody remembers anything from 77 except for Close Encounters and Star Wars. <laughs> really, that, that whole year That was the year that did it, baby. Changed everything. Uh, also from the Warner Archive collection, uh, this is a great bit of kitsch. The uh, the Valley of Guang Guangji, 
this is William Blast. Yeah, this Bass. is this Bass. is back when they were um, when everything had to have dinosaurs in it. Uh, all that stop motion Ray Harryhausen stuff and uh, James Francis was like a poor man's uh, 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 Chuck Heston. Yeah, <laughs> as he was in the in the Planet of the Apes yeah. films, he did that too. And and same thing here. You know, look, a lot of this is Journey to the Center of the Earth, and there's there's a lot of a lot of the dinosaur uh, valley of this and journey to that. So, um, effectively, the idea here is that we are mixing westerns with dinosaur movies, and uh, why not? You know, I mean, it's uh, Ray Harryhausen is Ray Harryhausen. I don't really care what context you give me, as long as he gets to go to town and do his amazing stop motion stuff. And uh, it, it's silly. It is, tur- but James Franciscus, he totally works hard. He sells it. The uh, the, the the dinosaur effects are great. Uh, it's not not a great story per se, but it's a it's a really interesting, kitschy part of film history. And uh, if you like these kinds of films, I think you'll get a real kick out of this mm. one. It's a nice trip down memory lane. Uh, the Vitaphone Varieties is another sort of kitschy part of film history. The 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 Vitaphone Varieties, um, Warner Brothers short films from the earliest part of the of, of, of the film era, the jazz era, a lot of silent films, and they used to do those sort of like Vita disc things that they used to do, and then they sort of switched over to film yeah. on sound like in the 1930s and stuff like that. But these were major motion pictures, uh, shorts, yeah. you know, being put out. Uh, this is volume three, 1928 to 1929, uh, varieties, just a whole rack of uh, extremely fascinating short films put out by Warner Brothers, uh, major directors, um, uh, and most importantly, major orchestras. Some of the scores for some of the stuff is absolutely yeah. fantastic. Um, uh, there, and so this is just really sort of great historical stuff. Um, Warner Brothers from the talk from their 16 shorts talking pictures collection. And then we also have the girl and the general, which is Rod one, Steiger. You know this, the girl and the general. That's gen- the Rod Steiger film that I was thinking of. It, oh, oh, okay. Yes, that's what it was. So the girl and the general is uh, is a, a Metro Goldwyn Mayer movie from the uh, late '60s, I believe it is. And this is the period when Carlo Ponti was doing just about everything uh, under the sun. Carlo Ponti was the great Italian producer, who of course produced. Dr. Zhivago, and he is famous at the uh, time for being married to Sophia Loren. So that is why, you know, for a moment, uh, Dr. Zhivago was to have starred Sophia Loren until David Lean said, I'm not going to put your wife in the movie. She's not right for the part. And we get Julie Christie. Uh, Thank goodness. Speaking of. Speaking of. Uh, But he didn't put his wife in this either. He put, you know, the next best thing at the time, Verna Lisi, or one of the next best thing. I mean, there's so many great actresses from this period. Uh, and, and uh, Verna Lisi was certainly one of the really great ones. More recently, people may know her from uh, Queen Margot, which is the uh, French film from, gosh, it's been about 20-some years now. Oh, yeah. But, uh, it, you know, she won an award at the Cannes Film Festival, and I was there that year uh, for Queen Margot. So uh, she is wonderful in this, along with Rod Steiger, who is also wonderful in this, again, coming over from uh, Dr. Zhivago. Um is nonetheless the girl and the general is a uh, is almost a, a kind of an exploitation film concept but done in a much more sophisticated way and it all takes place during uh world war 1 and rod steiger plays this uh this austrian general who captures um uh, a an italian guy an italian soldier Played by Umberto Orsini, and the um, this then becomes an interesting kind of uh, um, pri- well, uh, what how would I put it? The an interesting captor prisoner um, midnight run kind of a scenario, oh, huh. which which we're normally accustomed to in exploitation films is you know it's like let's take two people and handcuff them and send them on the way, whether or not it's a guy who's bringing in a, you know, a bounty hunter bringing in a person or two women who've escaped and they're chained together or three women who've escaped and it's, you know, Ebony Ivory and Jade, whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah. Most of those things were written by Jonathan Demme and they they tend to kind of have certain uh, archetypes to them. This is kind of in that same vein, but it's done in a very, very elegant way, a very uh, sophisticated way, directed by a, an Italian director I'm unfamiliar with, Pasquale Festa Campanile. Uh, but uh, it's you know it's 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 an it's an interesting little artifact with some very very good actors and by a very significant producer. So that alone, I think uh, the girl in the general is worth checking out. 
Uh, I've got millionaires in prison here, which interestingly enough is literally about that. Millionaires, yes. <laughs> millionaires in prison. It's kind of a neat little sort of prison gangster movie uh, from the I don't know early '40s. I think is when this thing came out. Uh, Linda Hayes, Raymond Wall, Raymond Walburn, Morgan Conway. And it's it's one of those sort of uh, except for Jimmy Cagney's not in it. It's the kind of film that you would think that Jimmy Cagney would have been in. It's about this guy who's in prison. He kind of runs to prison. Uh, you know, the warden thinks he went to prison, but he really runs to prison. Right. And then all these millionaires, you know, a couple of con men, a couple of you know, <laughs> stockbroker kind of guys yeah. do, do some swindly type stuff. They get sent to prison. He's got like five guys in prison who are millionaires, and he gets to work showing them how you actually run things mm. uh, and and, uh, and getting everybody like in shape. Yeah, obviously, to position himself in order to take advantage of the fact that he knows all these millionaires when he gets out of prison. It's really kind of a neat story. Like I said, it's the kind of thing you would expect Jimmy Jimmy Cagney to have been in or something like that back in the day. Neat movie. Um, not, again, a whole lot on this, but this is one of the instances where the movie itself uh, is the thing that you want to come for. Come and check it out. All right, we're going to get into some television now, uh, television and foreign films, and uh, we got some new films as well, which we'll get to uh, a little bit later. But um, first, I want to make mention of a slate of films that have come out from a company that's a new company. They do DVDR stuff primarily, uh, well, entirely, exclusively. It's all DVDR, but it's all really independent, uh, interesting independent films. And the company is Candy Factory. Uh, Candy Factory is uh, is kind of coming on like a storm. They keep with you know relatively low overhead doing their stuff MOD manufacturer on demand DVDRs all of them, uh, but it ena- that enables them to put films out there to service filmmakers and projects that are otherwise you know not they're not going to show up on Hulu they're not going to show up on Netflix or iTunes very easily these are movies that are just sort of of a certain level let's say slam dancey mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's they're really interesting and and uh, some of them are worth recommending. So, uh, particularly to to, to our, our our listeners, but I'm going to give you I'm going to run through them real quickly. Uh, the first one here is the Passing Season, which is uh, you know a, a very very short film. It's uh, you know 67 minutes long, um, but it's an interesting little independent uh, movie about a you know a guy whose hockey career has ended and he goes home, and uh, how that you know uh, forces him to reevaluate his life. That's a sharp little movie. Uh, we've also got one called The Baby Mooners, which was uh, an interesting little independent film last year, made the circuit, and, uh, you know, it's about a, a, a basically a woman who sit, who tries to create a video letter for her unborn son uh, based on old Woody Allen movies, and uh, it's an interesting way of making a cool uh, independent film, only 75 minutes long, but a sharp idea, and, and if you know the Woody Allen movies in question, you'll really, really get a, uh, get a kick out of it. Uh, also, a lot of little independent film festivals were fortunate to see Children of the Mountain. This showed up at uh, the 2016 uh, Tribeca Film Festival and won an award for Best New Narrative Director, and very, very deservedly so. The director is Priscilla Anani, and uh, it is uh, it is an extraordinary story of a mother's love for a child that is born with, uh, with a particular disability. And uh, then the disabilities start to compound, and, it, and life becomes harder and harder. And it's, it's very sensitively made for very little money. Really, really a good film. And uh, I hope somebody gives her a big, giant budget very, very soon to do something else that's pretty awesome. Uh, Road to the Well, uh, I liked a little bit less. This, is for the, this showed in uh, Dances with Films, which is something that kind of we, we get here in L.A. And yeah. Does that tour? Does Dances with Films go to other cities? Yeah, it definitely does. Because I've, I've, uh, I, I know, it it's, I know it's been to San Francisco for right, sure. Right, yeah. right. Kind of a well, this is, anyway. This is a story of a you know a couple of a couple of old friends. One of them's a drifter. Um, it's shot very very nicely. Otherwise, kind of a little bit slight and a little overlong. Uh, could have been shorter, but still you know some talent here. Uh, the director is John Kavak or Chavak. Not sure how you pronounce it. And then we also have Clandestine. Uh, this one didn't really work for me too well. It's got uh, you know some. This this has more names in it than some of these other films have. Um, but uh, you know Tom Tom Sizemore most notably. Yeah. And Tom Sizemore's been making a lot of junk lately. Kind of needs to reinvent himself um, again. Yeah, he really does. Seriously, again. Uh, anyway, you know movies that kind of wallow in the in in a certain crime milieu. You know, narcotics milieu. This is one of them. Not not one of the best, but it's out there. King of New Orleans. 
um, about a taxi driver who is an awful lot like the Robert De Niro taxi driver in some respects. The only thing that makes this a little bit different is how it kind of ties in with Hurricane Katrina. Um, some interesting stuff here as well. This is mercifully short, 81 minutes, more of an experimental thing uh, than some of the others. Uh, and then the other films, Stevie D, which is uh, about an actor in California. I can do with a lot less of those. Uh, Split, which was a really, really interesting, uh, this is really kind of fascinating art direction in this thing. Uh, this is uh, about a, um, uh, a stripper who becomes obsessed with masks. And I don't really know where to go in telling you any more about that, but it has fascinating art direction and some really, really interesting filmmaking, and it's called Split. Uh, that also did the festival route. And then uh, Americana, which is uh, about a, a film editor uh, who has to, who comes out of retirement, who has a lot of personal issues, and he's coming out of retirement to, to uh, finish a, a film called Americana. And uh, there's a whole kind of soap opera backstory to the effort. Um, this is, uh, a, a, it try, this is a, a, a not so successful but noble attempt at doing a certain kind of a thriller. And then the last one is uh, Lonely Boys, which is, uh, you know, just a really, uh, just a, an interesting look at friendship and a couple of interesting guys in Brooklyn who have a backstory and who have certain life issues. And uh, there's, a, you know, there's a little Broadway backstory to it that I kind of wish wasn't there. But nonetheless, also very, very interesting. So you can check any of those out. You can look for those uh, online. They uh, are manufacture on demand and the company is Candy Factory and they are going to continue to make some really, really interesting acquisitions. So I look forward to the little discoveries that they pluck out of the American festival circuit. Yeah, yeah, I was like, I really appreciate those films. I really, really do. Uh, can we bounce over to some of the... Let's, uh, oh, the foreign. You want to do foreign? Yeah, well, because it's cinema parody, so I just want to talk about let's that. Let's do it. Uh, <laughs> let's do really, it. Really what I want to talk about. For, for, this is 1988. For some reason in my mind, this yeah. film was a little bit later, about 1990 or so, but it's not. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's 1990. An absolutely beautiful film uh, about a, um, uh, a guy who's reflecting back on his childhood as um, uh, going to the theater and hanging out with the old projectionist. Yeah, played play by Philippe, Philippe Noiré, who's it's just wonderful. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. But 1988, my mind just didn't uh, have this film quite that old, but I guess that's more about me than it is the movie. Well, you know, the famously, and we should point out, too, this is uh, this is one of the movies from the Miramax Library. This has been the licensed. The Miramax Library. The yeah. Miramax Library, which nobody's doing anything with right now. Uh, this was licensed uh, to for release from the Miramax Library uh, by the people at uh, Arrow Academy, and they really went to town. They put just gobs and gobs of special features on it, and the, the transfer is beautiful. But you know, it's it's nice that even though no nobody at Miramax is doing anything with the library, others are going to them and saying, "If you're not going to do anything with it, would you let us do something with yeah. it?" Yeah, and of course, that, that uh, Harvey and Bob don't control that library, or do Harvey Harvey and Bob control the library? No. For, that's back over to yeah, Disney they, they, when Disney they 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 left the library with Disney, and then Disney sold it to the highest bidder, and it it bounced around, and it's been a mess ever since. I mean, I think I still say eventually the Weinstein's will have it back. Yeah. Because nobody else knows what to do with it. Yeah, it's they like, do. It's like Michael Jackson owning all those Beatles songs. There you for go. A while. It's just yeah. such a crazy mess. Anyway, this is an extraordinary movie, newly restored from the original camera negative, uh, and presented in two versions here: a 124-minute theatrical version and a 174-minute director's cut, which I have not seen. Which is not as good. Okay. Amazingly, that's why that's when Harvey developed that that. Uh, uh, sense that he knew more than filmmakers knew about, you know, fixing films, and and very often he's correct. You know, he was right that that movie at three hours is not the best of Giuseppe Tornatore, who is a very talented director, but not always uh, as as objective about his own work as he could be. Mm -hmm. Harvey uh, overly nostalgic. Harvey oversaw the cutting of that thing down to size, and uh, the shorter film is better. I gotta say, uh, uh, the Criterion folks, uh, Michelangelo Antonioni's blow up. Oh. Uh, this is a nice thick Dylan head. <laughs> you can feel the weight of it in your hand, just Blu-ray. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's good. It's a it's a great transfer too. This is the Antonioni film. Everybody knows. Yeah, you know? This is the Antonioni. You know, the one. Nevertheless, this is the one everybody knows. I like the uh, passenger. The passenger. Passenger. Jack, the one Jack, with Jack Nicholson. Passenger. Yeah. And and I and I'm and I'm big on uh, on uh, La Ventura, La Ventura. Just because it's because it's completely obscure and pointless. Yeah, about nothing. They just sort of stand around, <laughs> and, they, and they each slowly sort of disappear. It's just hysterically wonderful, wonderful. Again, this is one that's just packed with stuff. It is uh, everything everything you can possibly think of. 
uh, is on this film, this 4K digital transfer uh, here. Um, all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff, documentary stuff, archival interviews with Antonioni uh, and David Hennings and Jane Birkin and trailers and a booklet and just, you know, like I said, the weight of the box. Sometimes yeah. you know it's a good when you can just feel the weight. Yep. <laughs> and it's right there. It's right there. And uh, let's uh, let's talk about some uh, some uh, really really cool martial arts stuff because we got some giveaways here. We got two giveaways courtesy of Wellgo. Everybody can just shoot us emails at godsdigigods.com. Hit us up at godsdigigods.com, and uh, as long as we get the uh, the uh, as long as we get the um, uh, email. Gosh, my brain's not working today. As long as we get the email uh, by end of day on Friday the 14th, that's Friday the 14th, as long as it's date stamped for that day, you will be in the running and we will make a decision that weekend and randomly choose people who win uh, any of these. Uh, The uh, the two films are Three and Swordmaster. Now, I'm going to talk about Swordmaster first. Swordmaster is is pretty great. Uh, This is produced by Choi Hawk of course, who has done many, many great films, produced all of John Woo's early films, made a lot of his own great films, you know, The Blade, Butterfly Lovers, on and on and on and on, uh, and directed uh, Better Tomorrow 3. So Choi Huck, legendary figure, even did his, you know, Van Damme film over here and then went back. And the director is Derek Yee, who is his own kind of amazing. And uh, those two together have combined to make a really great old-school swordplay Wush, uh, uh, wuxia uh, film like they made in the 1990s. This is not one of the more recent Chinese films. This feels like the stuff that I really grew to love in the 1990s, late 1980s, even kind of with a, a one foot in the uh, in the old Shaw Brothers era that inspired all of it. Uh, it's a fantastically well choreographed, elegant, beautiful, and poetic epic um, about a, a, a swordsman who um, is... He is trying to, uh, he's a little bit like a ronin, right? He's, he's a loner, and he's trying to find his place in the world. That's the best way that I can not give away any of the really, really cool uh, aspects of this. Um, there's, a Zat, there's a bit of dash of Zatoichi and the, and the one-armed swordsman to him, all of those legendary kind of loner figures, uh, which we also find, obviously, in American westerns and spaghetti westerns and, and samurai films as well. Um, but he uh, he has a past, and it's following him around, and he has a future, and it's going to be very very difficult. And fill in the blanks, lots of amazing actions, really really great. So we we have uh, we have one, two, three, four, five copies of that that we're going to be able to give away. Hit us with gods at digigods.com and put Swordmaster in the title, just one word, Swordmaster, and you will be in the running for Swordmaster. The other film, for which we also have five copies, is Three, T-H-R-E-E, and uh, this is a Johnny Toe film. Johnny Johnny Toe. Johnny Toe is just so, he's just become the man. When John Woo is no longer making gangster films, Johnny Woo is hitting his stride. Uh, Johnny Toe. Uh, Johnny Toe started making uh, kind of -of run-of-the-mill martial arts films, heroic trio, and a lot of other really great things that are are still terrific, but they're not his style. And then... He kind of moved into making his own particular brand of uh, gangster movies, and uh, this is just the latest of of so many good ones. Uh, Exiled was amazing. Drug War was amazing, and uh, this is you know still in the same vein. I'm not going to say it's better or or you know more amazing or less amazing than any of those, uh, but it is uh, it is a little bit different, and uh, it is it is so violent, and yet it can it it's so interesting that. The character politics between these uh, these three actors is so interesting. Louis Ku, Vicky Zhao, and Wallace Chung are the uh, are the three in three. And what an amazing tour de force between all three of those actors. So I, I will tell you nothing about the plot of this one because it really, really is. You got to walk in. You just got to just know this is a great Johnny Toe movie. You jump in with all three feet, especially Louis Ku, who's a fantastic actor. Anyone who watches Asian films on a regular basis knows how amazing he is. And so send us an email with the, the word three, T-H-R-E-E. Don't spell it any funky way. Send that to gods at digigods.com. As long as we get the email by uh, the 14th, you will be in the running. And we'll pick, all, we'll pick winners for that and swords, Swordmaster over the weekend. Uh, can we do a couple of more? Yeah, uh, yeah. A couple more forms. Tony Erdman is just the one that I want to do real quick. Which, oh. by the way, did you know that... You know the Jack Nicholson. I know. Yeah, and Kirsten Wigg are going to do. Have you and I? Have you and I talked about this movie? Uh, 
I don't think we have. Just, I mean, just all right. So, did it win? It won, right? No, it did not. Win. It was no. nominated. It was nominated uh, for 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 best foreign picture yeah. for, for yeah. the Academy Award. Long, a very, very, very long German sort of three dark hours, three hours comedy. Long. Um, that frankly, you don't really understand what the hell's going on in this movie until the end of the first hour. Oh, you, oh, you, oh, did you get there at the end of the first hour? <laughs> did you? Know. Okay. And it, it's about this guy. I'll let his, you say. I'll let you do your thing, it's, and then it's, I'm gonna. It's very simple. It's, it's very simple. It's this guy. Uh, he's a, he, he's an oddball character anyway, but he has a daughter. His daughter he hasn't seen her in a while. She's a sort of, uh, you know, slick corporate type. His mm -hmm. daughter uh, with a high powered job, and she has to engage with. Father. Anyway, they don't get along. So he creates this sort of alter ego character called Tony Erdman, who's a life coach. Is that what he's supposed to be? A life coach? Uh, yeah, I guess. I, I think, right? Anyway, he's what he's doing is fucking with his daughter <laughs> for for this because he wants to reconnect with his daughter. Now this gets funny eventually, but it's three hours long, and if you don't hang around for most of the three hours, you never will get to the funny. It's mostly irritating, is what it is. I never got to the funny, and, never it's, made still, it. and it's still irritating. And it's gonna—I—I I, I do not believe for one second that Jack Nixon and Kirsten Wig are gonna make a three-hour. No, they're not gonna do that. No. I just don't believe it. No. So you know, you know, we shall see. I hate this movie. I hate it with a passion. <laughs> I hate everything about it. I can't stand it. I—I I started harassing most of our Lafka colleagues. Who a came lot out, of them love it. A lot of them came out of can. Look, I read their reviews, especially you know Justin and Peter, and there are a lot of people who saw it at can and came out loving it. And and I've been trolling them for the last uh, you know. Three months over their their love of this movie, which I just think is insufferably bad. Look, okay, it's a German comedy. I, that, You're already look, in trouble. Look, I'm half German. I can tell you more than anyone else. I mean, half my family is German, German, German. I know these people. We are not funny people. Funny is not what we do. We don't make the world laugh. Uh, this is not a this is not a, a great German trait. There are some good German comedies. There are a few, you know. Uh, sure. Stonk uh, is is my one of my favorites, and and uh, that Zucker movie. There's a few, but uh, generally speaking, they are we're not a funny people. So uh, here's my deal with this movie. I, this feels like somebody who saw a lot of Jerry Lewis movies and had no idea why they were funny. This is a, this is basically the same dynamic as the disorderly orderly. Okay, the disorderly orderly, the dynamic between Jerry Lewis, who is an orderly that just makes a wreck of everything, and. Uh, What's her name? The the blonde who played the uh, the, the the part in uh, Star Trek: The Menagerie. The actress I always forget her name. Oh, I forget her name. So I anyway, know, yeah. she's she's there and she's miserable and she's just angry at life and suicidal because you know a guy jilted her and, and Jerry makes it his job that he, the doctors may save her life but he's going to save her soul and so Jerry eventually helps her can re reconnect to life in about 85 very funny Frank Tashlin-directed minutes, minutes that also yeah. includes some slapstick and a great chase scene where there's a guy on a gurney going down a hill and the ambulances are chasing him, and it's, it's, it's a riot. It's a stone-cold riot, and there's a lady with leaky kidneys, and it's funny, and it's touching, and it's humane, and it's 85 minutes long. This damn thing is twice as long. <laughs> the guy's not funny, and he puts on Nutty Professor teeth, and that's supposed to make me laugh. And then at the end, there's like a thuzz of the thing that everybody does that comes out of nowhere. He's a really, really big guy, it's, and it, it, it involves it's, a lot of it. naked. It's, you know, a, it's, it's a good it's, kind of naked. It comes, out of, it comes out of left field. It's pointless. I hate this movie. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it so much. It's unbelievable how much I hate this movie. <laughs> It's unbelievable. But everyone else loves it, and it came out of can, and, you know, uh, with a great yeah, following. Big, like a big crazy head of steam. And, and Maran Ade is, you know, who directed it, is now all the rage again. So there we go. There we have it. Uh, the Mafia only kills in summer, uh, uh, which is, you know, uh, sort of a neat little movie. It's sort of a black comedy uh, about the sort of Sicilian Mafia. Uh, and uh, I like this movie actually quite a lot because what it does is it. It, it blows up all, all of the sort of dark, uh, sort of Godfather-based uh, ideas about the mafia being men of honor uh, and all of this kind of stuff, and and and, and flips all of that on its head and uh, sort of makes the sort of anti-mafia people the heroes again. Yeah. Again, in a, in a sort of a wacky, uh, dark comedy sort of way uh, from uh, Icarus Films home video. Uh, fun, I think. Anyway, not a Good. whole lot on it though. Not a whole lot on it. All right, is that for, is that it for our foreign? Uh, yeah, you want to do it? Let's see. Uh, let's see. Oh yeah, no, we got a couple other a uh, couple other little foreign films here. I can I can uh, dig into. Fragments of Love. Yeah, Fragments of Love is a is a good film. This is from Strand, uh, directed by Fernando Vallejo. Fernando Vallejo. 
Strand of Vallejo. Uh, yeah, Fragments of Love, good solid Strand acquisition. Strand is one of the few little uh, indie distributors that really kind of continues to do what they used to do, and uh, they've never really budged. And, um, uh, you know, this is a this is kind of a weird little... Um, it's it's like the, it's romantic, it's erotic, it's a little bit of a thriller, a little bit of a psychological head trip, but ultimately it's you know it's like Almodovar light. Yeah, is that a, way, a good way of putting yeah, it? Maybe. Yeah, 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 it's a little bit of Almodovar light. Um, uh, but yeah, the uh, the idea here is that there's this composer named Rodrigo who is obsessed with a certain woman. And uh, it is the story of where their relationship goes and vis-a-vis how it connects to her, uh, her sexual past. And, uh, yeah, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, Amadovar in there, and not in a bad way. A little, a little hypnotism there. Yeah, and then uh, La Novia, The Bride. Uh, this, was, this was a Spanish film, uh, as in not Spanish language, but Spain, the country Spanish film, that was a huge, huge hit in Spain. It never really uh, caught fire here uh, for some reason, but it is, uh, it's adapted, and I guess that's because it's adapted from a very, very famous uh, Spanish stage play, which uh, nobody really knows outside of Spain. Nonetheless, there is a really, really cool um, kind of Shakespearean love triangle uh, going on here. Uh, you know, doomed love, forbidden love. It's a really, it's a, it's a very, very interesting film, very nicely put together, and that is also uh, a release from Strand. So two very, very cool little uh, Spanish language films from Strand. Uh, where do we go? Uh, okay, let's let's do TV. You do some TV. Let's do some TV. So, I've never cared for the medium except for the fact that it was created by Glenn Gordon Carrot. Yeah. Um, who created Moonlighting? And you know what? What are you going to do? The guy yeah. who created Moonlighting is always going to be kind of okay with me. I liked Medium. Uh, this Patricia Arquette had a good run with this. She got some. She won the Emmy for Best Actress yeah, a couple yeah, of times, yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, thirty-five discs, the complete series, one hundred and twenty-eight episodes. I'm kind of amazed this hasn't been out before. But the, here we here we go. We we have Medium, the complete series, out from uh, Paramount. Um, the there's you know the show started off kind of slowly. And it's a little bit of a cheat when you have a show about a medium because you can kind of have her psychically see whatever you need to get your way through whatever story. You know, this usually, was one of the problems that I had with it, and and that and that and I understand that it's a you know as opposed to detectives who who have a handicap that you know like let's say you're you're like monk. Right, uh, so that was monk the thing. Or, or Ironside, or Ironside, right? You, you know, you're in a wheelchair, or you're uh, OCD, and that that that's you know that can be a shtick at the same time. But it, at least there's a hurdle you have to clear to do detective work. Here, you just kind of can. But that said, I thought that getting inside her head was very often really an interesting place to be. So they kind of found a back door to it that uh, that uh, that made it acceptable. She, she's a suburban housewife. Uh, she's she has these dreams where yeah. the dead people. You know, try to you yeah know, help it. And my thing was, how come the dead people just don't say, "Hey, <laughs> my husband did it. His name's Bob. Yeah. He lives at three twenty-eight. Yeah, I mean, all of this stuff. You know, you just, yeah. just you, you, who killed you? Yeah. Bobby did it. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna see if we can figure out a way. It's true. But it's you know, true, yeah. and that's probably why it has 128 episodes, and not 228. <laughs> but nonetheless, way more than I ever made. Yeah. Veep. You know. I know that Veep is a gigantic uh, uh, um, Julia uh, Louis Dreyfus. Yeah, show, uh, Veep uh, is a very popular show. It's, it's into its sixth season. Yeah, it's, it's I never thought it would last season. that long. I never, and, and it's funny. You know, I've only watched it sporadically, but I watched it. You know why I only watched it sporadically? Mm. It's because she did a series just before Veep. This is the fifth season uh, out here. HBO original series. All kinds of neat stuff on this thing. Yeah, she did a series called the. Um, uh, uh, I think it was called The New Life of Old Christine or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that was, was her fo- her Seinfeld follow-up. Exactly. Yeah. Follow-up. It was absolutely hysterically funny. lasted 23 seconds uh, and then was just gone. And yeah. then bang, beep, and it comes along. And, and, and this is very sharp. I've heard she's playing the vice president. I think by the fifth season she's the president. Yeah. But maybe that's this year or, or whatever. But three Emmy Awards that she's won um, uh, Best yeah. Original Comedy Series. Yep. This. Can't be mad about that. Julia Lee Dreyfus. And uh, we've got the best of Tim Conway. This is from the uh, 50th anniversary of the Carol Burnett show. And it is, you know, I, I really recommend to most people just get every Carol Burnett show disc you can. Don't get a best of. Don't get Carol's favorites. Don't get, you know, 
uh, Harvey Corman's uh, fantasy. <laughs> don't get don't get any of those. Just get the whole thing because there are gems in every episode. There is there's not a bad moment in a Carol Burnett the, show. The, I was about to say it. You beat me to it. There's no. You know how sometimes we talk about Sarah and I live. Yeah. And you know I like Sarah and I just fine. It's been better for the last few years. But you get, you get but you have some you have some dead moments in Saturday Night Live. You, you, you get about three good bits a show and, if you're lucky. And, and, and yeah. everything goes on too long. Yeah. Carol Burnett's show. This is not true ever. Yeah. Without any moment in the Carol Burnett show. The uh, the reason that um, Eric Idle has not been asked back to host Saturday Night Live is because he went on Conan some years ago and said, "Well, you know what they say about Saturday? The difference between Saturday Night Live and Life." And Conan says, "No. What do they say?" He goes. Life event, oh, Saturday Night Live sketch. <laughs> life, life eventually ends. Uh, that's that was the joke, and that's why Eric Idle's not been asked back. But anyway, yeah, Tim. But if you if you can only you know if you're if you're trying to make the rent and you don't have a lot of money, you can do no you can do no wrong by getting the best of Tim Conway. Uh, it's it what he did. It is just comedy genius, and the fact that he. And, and when they talk about the show, you know, a lot of times they, nobody really knew what Tim Conway was going to do. Yeah. They would go for a week doing all rehearsal, but they knew that when tape time came, he'd pull something else out of the bag. There was something – the other shoe was always going to drop, and there was always going to be something that he would do that was not in rehearsal, that was completely unexpected – and it just it it pulled Harvey Corman's cord every single time. He just couldn't keep it together. The thing, the wonderful thing about the Carol Burnett show in general, yeah. but certainly those Tim Conway bits on the Carol Burnett show, yeah. you knew that fourth wall was done. <laughs> it's, it's true. They were gonna you, they, yeah. you, 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 Sometimes Harvey would look right at the camera. Yeah. And just say, "I'm sorry, people. Just can't control it. I can't, can't help myself. Can't, can't hold it uh, in." Tim Conway, don't make him like him anymore. Archer, the complete seventh season. I'm trying to find an interesting angle on this show. I still don't get it. You know, I get it. You know, all the sexy this and the other thing, and they are just sort of you know goofy Bond guy. But you know, I've never I've never been a big sort of uh, Archer fan. Yeah. Per se, a little too on the nose for me. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I dig some of the voices that sort of come out of that. Anyway, uh, this one, uh, Archer reviews Bond. Uh, Archer reading live on the boat. I don't know what any of that stuff means, but. I suppose if you're a fan of Archer, what you're going to want to get is the seventh season just because you're a fan of Archer. There you go. All right. We've got a few British TV things to talk about, and uh, all of them worthwhile. And then we will uh, wrap the show up probably with new movies. I think we'll uh, yeah. probably take us right to the end. Um, a couple of great ones from uh, Acorn and uh, RLJ. Uh, the, the first one is Wentworth Season 2. Uh, which uh, you know is, is, has been compared in many respects to Orange Is the New uh, New Black. I don't really see it. Orange Is the New Black is much funnier and kind of means to be a, a much more offbeat. Uh, Wentworth is, uh, and we put this under Brit TV because again we're talking about the Commonwealth. Uh, this is an Australian drama, and uh, it's been very very popular in Australia, at least from what I understand. And uh, it is, you know, it's basically a, a women's prison drama, and it's uh, it's gritty and it's smart and it's well acted and uh, it's it, it's it's solid. So, uh, if you want to see something that's, I guess, a little bit like Orange Is the New Black, but um, more, you know, more serious, um, I would go. I, I I would say check out Wentworth, but definitely check out season one first. Don't dive right into season two because there's a lot of stuff that that you won't necessarily understand. Uh, series five of Suspects is just as good as the first four. Uh, another really, really great police drama. And uh, this one is, deals specifically with, um, uh, well, I don't know how much I want to give away of this. No, I'm not going to give this story away. Uh, it, this, is, this is kind of a, um, uh, a, a law and order type show. Uh, but it's it is what's interesting about suspects is it's improvised. It's primarily a non-scripted show, uh, which gives it a, a sort of a fascinating urgency and dynamic to it. But there's a there's a very very particular aspect to series five that is um, that is really really powerful. And I'm not going to say anything about it. I'm, I'm just going to say if you like the first four seasons, you should definitely check it out. Uh, and moving on because I'm saving the best for last here, the uh, secrets of the six wives. Uh, this is a uh, kind of an interesting uh, public television-like examination of the House of Tudor and Henry VIII and his wives, and uh, it, it's uh, it's um, 
it's a little too sort of docudrama like for me. Um, I I could do with something that's a little bit more straight. But uh, it's okay. Uh, it's a little gimmicky. It's hosted by historian Lucy Worsley, and she's very smart, and she knows her stuff and really kind of covers all the bases. But the whole the stylistic approach to it is a little bit off-putting. And then lastly, the one I want to talk about for a minute, this was on, uh, on television. This was broadcast on PBS, and now it is on Blu-ray. It's a little bit grungy in its broadcast, uh, but it is extraordinary on Blu-ray, and I don't know why the difference. I think it should the broadcast should have at least been uh, look as good as the Blu-ray. Uh, from PBS on Blu-ray, To Walk Invisible, The Bronte Sisters. Uh, this is part of Masterpiece here. Did you see this, Tim? Did you see no, To Walk Invisible? No, I did not see that. And, and anybody who's listened to this show for a, a period of time knows that I, I have a certain obsession with the Bronte family. Uh, Charlotte, Emily, and Anne, the three famous uh, Yorkshire sisters who became literary giants, all of them, and they're, uh, they're very, uh, you know, they lost their mother at an early age. There were two older sisters who their died. Brother, of, their uh, brother was an alcoholic. Uh, and a, a wonderful and a, painter, though. A tremendous painter, yeah. I mean, the famous painting of the three of them was, was painted him by missing. him. Missing, yeah. And, of course, I did the audio commentary for the uh, Cohen Blu-ray of Les Soeurs Blonté, the André Téchiné film, and uh, that was a wonderful experience for me. I did that with a, a, a Bronte scholar from Harvard who was just, I just sat and listened to her. She was tremendous. So here's the thing with To Walk Invisible. This, Wait a minute. Is that the one with Jonathan Price playing their father? This is, yes. That to walk, is? Yes, To I Walk Invisible. I have seen that. Was that called That on American PBS? Yes. It wasn't called The Bronte Sisters? No, it was just To Walk Invisible. This is just a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago? Yeah. I have seen this. Yes. Okay, it's never great. mind. Go on, go on. This is tremendous. It's, yeah. I mean, it's really for, great. For whatever reason in my mind, it was called The Bronte Sisters. No, it's To Walk Invisible. Because it was a big fight between the three of them... You know, because not all three of them wanted Emily. Emily's a hothead. Yeah, well, they they wrote their novels originally under pseudonyms, male pseudonyms, mm -hmm. so that they'd be able to get them published, and so that they wouldn't sort of humiliate their father, who was a very you know stern. Well, not a stern. He wasn't stern. particularly stern, he, but no, he was he? he was a very conservative man. Yeah. We should say he's a very conservative minister. Outlived all of them. He did, which yeah. is the horrible tragedy. Yeah. But uh, it's such an amazing story. But there are certain beats to the Bronte story that have never been dramatized particularly well, even by the Teshine film, which, of course, does it all in French, so you don't hear the accent. But this film hits those beats beautifully. And there's the, uh, the a bit of a couple of the reveals later on. You know what I'm saying? The, the yeah. And that's why I asked you. I want yeah. to make sure, yeah. because I, I, I didn't want to give it away. But there's a, there's a moment with you know a couple of guys in London. That whole moment... I was in tears. It was so beautifully executed. It is so literately written. I mean, this, it is really, really just pristine and perfect, and, and powerfully, powerfully acted. But really by, well by, acted. By, I'm, I'm sure, that, I'm sure that the British audiences know those, those actors, actresses, they, absolutely, all three Jonathan of them. Price, obviously. But, but um, you know, American audiences might not know those faces all that well. No, these but are it doesn't make any difference. They're so strong. Doesn't make any difference. And the actor who plays uh, their brother Branwell yeah. just really kills it. And that. That was what I wasn't sure of because, you know, the Branwell was such a screw-up. I mean, such a hopeless screw-up, a womanizer and an alcoholic and, you know, in, in debt. And he just dragged the family down. He was such a burden to his sisters and to his but father. what I loved about him, he loved his sisters. He did. And see, that's the thing. It's so hard to portray someone with his, so many vices. Particularly yet, a guy from that era. From that era. Who could have been very abusive if he wanted to. But with so many vices and yet make them sympathetic. Yeah. And they're able to do that. And that is no small task. And they loved so. their brother. They did. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it, he was not just something. He just couldn't stop drinking. So that's To Walk Invisible, the Bronte sisters. Absolutely wonderful. Um, for my money, that's the, the, the quintessential telling of the, of the Bronte story to date. Really beautiful. Emily only wrote the one book, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, Emily Willard wrote Wuthering I, Heights. I, I, I can, yeah, I can fabulate. Wuthering Heights, but yeah. a lot of great poetry, All a lot of amazing poetry, poetry, really extraordinary poetry. And um, Anne wrote two novels, and Charlotte wrote, I think, four. Yeah, and a lot so, of those epistolary uh, yeah, yeah. letters. Those yeah. letters. Um, uh, the movies? Yeah, movies. Let's uh, hit the new ones. The new movies. Uh, Lion, of course, Dev Patel, Mara Rooney. Um, uh, Nicole Kidman nominated for Best Supporting Actress uh, Academy Award yep. there. Look, uh, when, when, when I saw this movie... Um, you know, as as it was making its run, you know, and we, yeah. and we saw it. I saw it, I saw it in theaters, and I was like, okay. Uh, it opened so strong. 
yeah. that first quarter of the movie, which not, does not involve any of the people that I just mentioned. The little kids, Sonny. The little boys yeah. in the mo- is, is, is the anchor of yes. that first, probably third, maybe even the first whole act of that movie is that yes, little boy. And, and, and I, sh- I should point out uh, that little boy, Sonny, was discovered by a very close friend of ours uh, who put him in his film first. Oh, which was the... T- Tabrez Nurani. The, 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 the elephant? No, no, Tabrez, no, it hasn't come out yet. Tabrez Nurani found him and put Sonny briefly in his movie Love, Sonia. Which, oh. And, and uh, Love, Sonia is, you know, which I have, I, I, I'm not at liberty to say whether I've seen it or not. Uh, <laughs> but, but if I had seen it, I would say, I, I would probably, if I had seen it, I would say that it's pretty damn awesome. <laughs> uh, but that being said, uh, that was Sonny's uh, premiere. And uh, then he went on to do Lion, which of course has come out first. An but, extraordinary uh, find. And, uh, yeah. and I, hope He's that, amazing. Uh, I hope that he actually has the career there. This is the, and, and, and then, you know, there are these other movements in the movie, a sort of middle movement that takes place in, uh, I guess it's Australia, where he ends up as Dev Patel's character, with Nicole Kidman as the mother. Um, um, and, 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 you know, that's a, that's a perfectly sort of uh, affable drama there. And then we have the, another part of the movie that takes place where it all sort of culminates with yeah. him, him finding, finding his way home. I don't know. It, it's just a tough thing when the second and third act of a film uh, are not nearly as strong as the first. I act. I hear you. And I had my fingers crossed that it would get, you know, but I was, it just never gets as strong as it I know. In, that, in that first act again. Anyway, uh, this uh, special features deleted scenes behind the scenes gallery uh, and a performance uh, of the sort of original song from the film. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, decent stuff. All right. And then uh, I got a couple of Blu-rays here that I, I think are okay. Um, the first one is, I mean, you know, when you call it, when you give a movie a title like The Bye-Bye Man, anything, look, <laughs> look, here's the thing. Any movie that has as its title The Something Man, <laughs> yeah. it's usually going to be a horror film. Yeah. Uh, you know, if the the Candy isn't... Candyman. Yeah, yeah. If the the isn't there, then it's going to be something like Superman, Batman. Once you put a the in it, the it's Babado- a horror film. It's a horror film. Yeah, you know, the the the, 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 the walking man, the thin man, the, the, well, the, the thin the man thing, is not... The the thing is always... Yeah. Yeah, it's always creepy. So anyway, uh, the Bye Bye Man is a guy. It's a guy with you know Freddy Krueger hands in a in a hoodie. Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's it's it is what it is. It's one of those movies, and they're all kind of the same. And this one is stylistic, and uh, you know, it it means to be. Uh, more a resume film, I think, than anything else. Uh, Carrie Ann Moss is very, very good in it. She's good in everything. She's yeah. one of the best things in Iron Fist right now, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, I never get sick of Carrie Ann Moss, but everybody else in this is just kind of, you know, treading water and going through the uh, through the motions. Is it scary? I yeah, sure, I guess. I mean, I'm I'm a, I'm jaded. I, I I sort of saw the, the scares coming, and it's stylish and creepy, but whatever. Then we got War on Everyone. Uh, you know, I was surprised this didn't really get a theatrical release. This isn't bad. Uh, Michael Pena, fantastic actor, not getting a lot of uh, uh, good reviews right now in Chips, yeah, which well, people are just Chips savaging. is not getting a lot of good reviews. So we don't yeah, uh, but, you know, uh, he's with Alexander Skarsgård, two really fine actors in uh, War on Everyone, and they play a couple of really dirty cops, bad cops, who are trying to shake down uh, everybody. They're kind of just, just basically uh, scam artists. And they... Um, uh, they wind up kind of shaking down the wrong people, and their their whole scam comes back to uh, bite them. Uh, it's really about watching these two actors work. If you saw Michael Pena in uh, uh, End of Watch, where he's with uh, um, oh uh, uh, Jake, uh, Is that Jake? Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, they are tremendous in Outstanding that. Outstanding, absolutely amazing. Movie, you know? uh, that is a great film, and their LA chemistry cop is terrific. Movie, uh, contemporary LA cop. This is kind of like the, the flip on that a little bit. But Pena is so good in these particular movies, except for Chips. Mm-hmm. But he's so good in these. He really, he just, he, he kills it here. He's really, really good. It's a very different role for him. And Skarsgård, really underrated actor, too. Very, very good. Uh, both of these uh, films that I just mentioned have uh, Ultraviolet on them, The Bye Bye Man and uh, War on Everyone. They're Blu-ray, DVD, and Ultraviolet combo sets. Uh, Band of Robbers, I'll knock out real quick. This is a sort of retelling of the Tom and Huck story, the sort of Mark Twain, yeah. Tom and Huck story, just resets in a, in a more modern setting and they go after that money the adventures they're they're a little bit more blue a little meaner a little tougher but a lot of the same stuff actually happens and all the characters have yeah. the same name so you know what fine <laughs> that, that, yeah. that, that's fine not, not a lot of, on this film rise uh and some gravitas there yep claire in motion is actually quite a good little movie though 
uh, that I liked that I liked a lot. So this is about a woman, family, husband, the whole shebang. Everything's all nice. Yep. Very, very, very good. The husband goes missing. Ooh. Naturally, she goes into you know motion to try to figure out what happened to her husband. What 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 starts to be revealed are all kinds of things that were part and parcel of her life that she did not know about. So all of that family and uh, all of that stuff just gets chipped away. Uh, it's actually very riveting. I liked it quite a lot. Special features here, a few deleted scenes. That's all you're going to get. All righty. And we have uh, we got a bit of time left, so you know what? I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna roll through some exploitation titles. Uh, we got a lot of uh, a lot of really interesting old and new uh, cult movie stuff here. So if you are into trash cinema, boy, do I have some treats for you. I, I love good trash, and uh, this is from Troma, as much good trash is. B yes, it is. B C Butcher. Directed by a director by the name of Kansas Bowling. Now, I'm going to take a shot here. I'm going to take a wild stab and guess that no one in the history of planet Earth really has the name Kansas Bowling. <laughs> Tim, do you think? No. Do you think there's a little baby? Not, in not even if you're actually from no. Kansas. No. So Kansas Bowling is a pseudonym. Uh, this is an absolute riot. It's, uh, it's kind of like um, a caveman cannibal uh, I don't even know where to go this is every exploitation film just thrown into one it's ridiculous the only thing I can say is there's a quote on the cover of this from this guy named Thomas Becker who writes for Beautiful Bodies I don't know who Becker is I don't know what Beautiful Bodies is but this is the best pull quote you could possibly put on a movie like this it describes everything he says it's as if Russ Meyer directed the monkeys that's it. That's all you got to know. <laughs> I'll tell you this. That guy makes a movie every 15 minutes. It's really funny. <laughs> so, so yeah. If you don't like that one, he's making another one for you right <laughs> there now. There you go. Really funny. Uh, from Severin is uh, kind of a giallo -y thing uh, by Franco e. Prosperi called Wild Beasts. Uh, yeah, it's okay. It's fine. Um, you know, uh, Prosperi is, a, is, is, is one of these guys who sort of uh, paved a path with... Uh, giallo type films dealing with animals attacking people sort nah. of his thing right so this is more of that uh that's what he does he's you know he's the feral animal thing and uh <laughs> it's fine it's a it's kind of a sub-genre or a sub-genre of a sub-genre came in uh, 1983 so it's a little bit on the tail end of the, the but you know it's when fulci is still doing some stuff and you know dario argento's in his prime so whatever uh, this movie is great trash. This is fantastic Love trash. Camp uh, Love Camp 7, man. Uh, it, it's a Blue Underground movie. Blue Underground really only does really great stuff. Now, this uh, don't let this offend you. It, it shouldn't be offensive. This is designed to be just really, really great trash, but it's also designed to have a little bit of a statement to it. And uh, this was the first film of what became a genre in the 70s, that were all about sadistic Nazis, yeah. and they were all exploitation films that were sort of had a a Third Reich uh, framework to them. Some of the Nazis would be really hot, and they called them Nazis. Uh, Nazi exploitation, I believe, was the uh, actual term at the time. Doesn't really roll trip off the tongue very yeah. easily, but nonetheless, it is a particular genre. Love Camp Seven is the one that started it. Don't be offended by it. Just be aware that this was a genre that existed. And uh, it's designed to be super trashy. It's supposed to be offensive. So therefore, you are doing yourself and the filmmakers a service by not letting it uh, offend you. Also from Trauma is a movie with a title that tells you absolutely everything you need to know. Honky Holocaust. <laughs> That's it. Sometimes I think they just make up the titles first and then just shoot something. Just those go, those shoot guys anything. are so from the seventies. Everything about uh, it is just Lloyd Kaufman's the great. Yeah, he Lloyd. doesn't intro on this thing. It's just so. It's just so funny. There's a there's the, the best thing about Honky Holocaust, which is you know I mean I'm not gonna give you a story. It's pointless. It's, but, what's, what's funny is that film the whole the word Holocaust is still it, yeah that can't possibly offend you. No, yeah, it's it's just it's it's just trash. It's just great through. But the best part of this is an extra on here. It's a behind the scenes uh, featurette. They call it a honkumentary. <laughs> it's the greatest, fantastic. Oh, uh, the uh, the orphan killer. Uh, this is from the from Real Gore releasing, uh, directed by Matt Farnsworth, who who apparently specializes in this kind of stuff. Uh, this is this is more than I particularly. Uh, 
can take. This really gets into the this gets into the muck with slasher films. Not fun, not my kind of movie. But if you if you like the hardcore gore, if you like the stuff that really goes above and beyond uh, this, then this is you know mutilation, uh, torture porn, and all that stuff. Uh, this will be right down your alley. Could not get through more than just a few minutes of it. Not my style, but uh, you know, as an audience. And uh, Murder Lust from Intervision. This is only on DVD. Uh, this is a uh, 1986 film. A little bit late for this particular kind of film, but uh, it's, a, it's a serial killer movie. It's low budget, uh, not particularly good, but it has a certain kitsch to it, a certain period kitsch that you know some people will, will enjoy if you just like the genre, generally speaking. Uh, from Severin, a Blu-ray of Drive-In Massacre, which is uh, kind of one of the legendary 70s films of this. I mean, of the massacre films that yeah. had massacre in the title and actually have a massacre. Everything post-Herschel Gordon Lewis. Uh, there's only a few that sort of are considered legendary, and Drive-In Massacre is one of them. Uh, nothing particularly enjoyable in this film. It just you, you watch it purely for the sleaze factor. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, it was in the feel the fact that it feels like 1970s. Representative what, of the genre. What's weird is this was the year before Star Wars, and this is the same year as Rocky. Yeah, that always feels weird to me because this this really belongs in the like late 60s. It just yeah, it, a part of what Tarantino would have called road a roadhouse movie. Yeah, total roadhouse movie. Anyway, the uh, the director Stu Siegel uh, came back and did a commentary for it, and uh, it's actually way better than the movie. <laughs> it is. I wouldn't even watch the movie. I just I just listened to the commentary. Turn the you know turn the picture off. Uh, Joe Bullet is a really interesting movie. Uh, Joe Bullet is um, is a is a South African exploitation film. Yeah, in the sort of black exploitation genre. Yeah. yeah. So it's an exploitation film that is basically an anti-apartheid uh, statement film. Which is interesting. Uh, it's 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 exploitation because it is designed for specifically for the uh, the township audiences, mm -hmm. for uh, audiences outside of South Africa. It's it's designed really to not be too highbrow, but to specifically hit that lowbrow emotional trigger. And it does a really good job of it. It does much in in many ways. I would almost compare this to Sweet Sweetback, even though Sweet, Sweet Sweetback's Back. a much better film. Yeah, it kind of it's going for the same jugular, or even or even the uh, the harder they fall, that sort of Jimmy exactly. Thing. There yeah. you go, yeah. harder they fall. It's in that in that same vein. Uh, really interesting movie, and uh, I especially love the fact that it's it's about soccer. Yeah, you know, uh, which is just awesome for me too. So a double bonus. It's like uh, South African black exploitation uh, with a statement and soccer. Love it. Absolutely super cool. Joe Bullet, and that is from the film detective, who keeps digging up really interesting stuff. Did you want to mention uh, World's Apart before? We oh yeah, let's talk about World's Apart. I'll, I'll let you. Just because J.K. is in it. Go for it. Uh, and the thing that I think J.K. Simmons is in it. It's a Greek film uh, done by the director of What If, uh, which is another Greek film that's a, a very popular film. And this is a very popular film. And, in Greece, uh, made a whole lot of money. The reason why it's interesting is it's a sort of a multi-layered, multi-story thing. Yeah. A roaming. It's a contemporary film, so all of the troubles of Greece are played out in this film. All, all of the stuff to do with the bankruptcies and the uh, and, and the immigrants and all of that stuff that's going on is all, all in this film. They all 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 lap over each other in that sort of uh, crash kind of way. Remember yep. crash yep. kind of way. So that's what's going on in this film. It's actually sort of moving, and it's a neat little contemporary lesson about uh, current Greek history. Fantastic. All right, and then uh, we got just a. Uh, we got. We, let, let me let me let me pack a couple more of these into the uh, the end just to get through some of this. Uh, there is a there is a feature read in the director's interview on that. Uh, Worlds apart is the name of it. All right, so uh, here here's another good piece of trash from Synapse. This is a. <laughs> I don't even know how to say this on the show. Uh, we're getting awfully loose with the language on the show. So uh, this is from Synapse Films. This is the violent. I'll, I'll do it the English way. The, viol the, viol <laughs> the violent shite collection. Um, uh, it's just too funny. It's the five film collectors uh, shitition. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll do it that way. I love it. Uh, anyway, I was completely unfamiliar with these films. Uh, violent, you know, S-H... And then violent sh two, uh, and then three and four and five, and the last one is a zombie film. The uh, that's not violent. Yeah, exactly. So I, I was not even familiar with this this series of films. It's just uh, completely bizarre. But they're not. I mean, the first one's from nineteen eighty nine, and the other two are from the mid mid to late nineties. And then um, 
the uh, the um, uh, last one is 2010. The zombie one is from the 90s. So I, you know, I'm not quite sure. Anyway, the 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 order of these things. Forget about the order. Here's here's the deal. The original movie is a is a it's a slasher film. It's just a straight up slasher film. And they threw a really, really uh, controversial title on it, obviously to set it apart from everything else that was going on in the late '80s when slasher films and you know we were on the on the edge of yeah, losing. Yeah, of course, they had a different title in well, Germany. Uh, it, yeah, and and we're on the we're on the verge of something too because we're about to get Best Picture winner in a couple of years with Silence of the Lambs, mm. which sort of erases the whole genre uh, from the exploitation realm and yeah. it elevates it to. And then we get Seven, and suddenly it becomes you know it's something that you can do. At an A level instead of at a you know a D minus level, but anyway, uh, you know there's nothing particularly good about these movies, but it's kind of a legendary uh, you know trilogy, four films, five films all together. However you know however it all fits together, I will confess I didn't watch all five of them. Mm. Nothing could pay me to watch all five of these. Uh, I'm just not going to do it. You got to be into it. You got to be. Got to be into it. Yeah. And uh, then the very, very last thing I will make mention of is Return of Kung Fu, Trailers of Fury. Uh, this is just two hours of, of from this from Severin. This is on Blu-ray. Just two hours of uh, Kung Fu trailers. And it's great. All of them from the uh, 1970s and 80s. Some of the movies are better than the others, but all the trailers are really, really fun. And uh, if you love those movies like I do, it's a real great trip down memory lane. Uh, it's a, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a fun thing to throw on in the background during say, a party put it too. On the background. Put it on the background during a party. It, yeah. Fantastic. All right, that's it. Um, we hope Mark is having a grand old time in Paris, and he will be back next week, and we will hear all about it. We-